the Christian Circle podcast and you're listening to Pamela Fernandez where we have conversations about Christian living. Here's the show. Well, uh, he was kind of a, I guess you'd call him a rake, mm-hmm. you know, okay. he was, uh, wasn't really a, a very virtuous man, wasn't, was immoral at all. Okay. And he had a lot of, uh, a lot of issues, you know, just like, it seems like the common thread through most of the great saints yeah, yeah. is that they didn't grow up as choir boys, you know, yeah. God knew what he was doing by taking these people that really weren't the best of the best, you know, like St. Paul had yeah. blood on his hands and, yeah. uh, you know, St. Augustine, he was, he had a child at a wedlock with a woman that may or may not have been married to another man. Okay. Uh, you know, you got all these different, uh, you know, like St. Francis of Assisi, he lived kind of a, a little bit on the edge life when he was younger too, you know, mm-hmm. so it was all these different people that the, the most, really it's like the most famous of the saints that we know of really had this, this pattern of, you know, kind of, a off the rails youth, mm-hmm. a, a moment of conversion, and then just complete dedication to God. And St. Augustine's really the same. Mm-hmm. The same and so much different at the same time, you know? Yeah. Because he went on to become, you know, one of the greatest fathers of the church mm-hmm. that we have. And a lot of Western thought and Western philosophy and Western Christianity is really based upon his teachings and writings and everything. Was he a rich man? I mean, what, what was his um, his family background like? I mean, we, we do know that his mother also ended up being canonized as a saint. So yeah, St. Monica. Yeah, St. Monica. Uh, his, I believe his mother was a Christian. She she was a Christian the whole the whole way through. She really, it was probably her prayers that really brought him around. Yeah. But uh, the father, I, I think I read that the father was a Christian, and I also read the father wasn't a Christian. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we really know very very much detail about him. Yeah. Uh, as far as I found out, he's, he wasn't a Christian, but he grew up in uh, North Africa, what's now uh, Algeria. Mm-hmm. And he's from a plebeian family in Roman society, but I don't think they were ultra rich, but they also weren't peasants either. Yeah. You know, yeah. kind of middle class, I guess, as much as middle class would be in the, the ancient world. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, he, he came from North Africa and... Mm-hmm. His mother was a Christian, and so he was raised kind of like nominally Christian, Mm -hmm. but he really started straying even as a child. Like later on in his confessions, he would write that as a child, he would go and do bad things, you know, Mm -hmm. steal things or hurt animals or whatever, Mm -hmm. and not because he wanted the things that he was doing or not because just because they were bad. Mm -hmm. Like that's how bad he was as a kid, that he would do things just to do wrong. You know, because he knew he wasn't supposed to, so that's why he would do it. That was his motivation. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was quite an intellectual man, wasn't he? I mean, he was a professor who yeah. was teaching philosophy yes. and all these, these big subjects. Um, so he's actually, in a sense, an educated man, a man who, who can think for himself, a man who really thinks, oh, yeah. and he's very logical about it. Yeah, when he was uh, when he was in college, he went, it's kind of the, the typical story, too, of... You know, so many people nowadays in the church is you're raised a Christian, yeah. he went off to college, and in college he was exposed to all these other ideas and stuff, yeah. and he ended up becoming a Manichaean. Yeah. And, you know, that probably broke his mother's heart, as I imagine there's lots of mothers out there that yeah. their children have drifted away from the faith and it's broke their heart. But, you know, they can be hardened by no matter what happens, like, you know, St. Paul or whatever, you can always come back. Yeah. You know, just like St. Augustine really had a conversion later on in life and got baptized later on, so that means he wasn't baptized as a child. Mm-hmm. 
so he didn't really come back. Yeah. But in a sense, he did because he was raised by a Christian mother. Yeah, he went on to become a, uh, a professor in Carthage, which would have been like the main Roman city in the area. Mm-hmm. And there was a uh, a Roman official like from the uh, the imperial court. At the time, the imperial court was in Milan. Mm-hmm. And there was a Roman official from the imperial court that was so impressed by his speaking skills and stuff mm-hmm. that he invited him to come become a professor in Milan, okay. which would have been like the most prestigious would have been the most prestigious like uh, law professor position there would have been in the Roman Empire at the time. So he must have been pretty good, pretty good yeah. at speaking to yeah. to get that invitation. So in a way, um, he did have some qualifications before. Like you see this with a number of saints, so they didn't realize that they were quali- being qualified, you know, through the right, yeah, as they as they come closer. Okay. Yeah, the kind of thing that they can look back on and say, like, well, God put me in this position to write these books on mm-hmm. theology and philosophy. Mm-hmm. And in my training at Carthage and in Milan and all these different steps along the way, he was being kind of groomed for this. Yeah, yeah. But at the time, you wouldn't see that. But it's kind of one of them hindsight is twenty twenty thing. We can see it perfectly yeah, yeah. 1,600 years later. Yeah. <laughs> but but at the time, he would have just thought he was just going on with his life. Mm-hmm. But God had his, his steps kind of planned out the whole way. So what is this turning point where he has this crisis of, um, you know, of faith under the influence of Ambrose and then he just, you know, changing and his whole whole life changes, I think. Right. I, I don't know how old he is then, but everything changes from then on. Right. It starts before he left, before he left for Milan, he oh. had a run-in with, uh, there was a, a man, the Manichaeans had bishops too. Okay. And, because it was kind of a cross between like Christianity, Zoroastrianism, Gnosticism, it was kind of a mixture of lots of different things. Mm-hmm. And they had bishops, and there was a bishop named, I think it was Faustian or Faust. Okay. Faustus, I think it was. Yeah, it was Faustus. And he he would ask all these different men, because it's as a Gnostic religion, you only know so much as as you're kind of initiated into it. Mm-hmm. You know, so when you're first get in, it isn't like when I became a Catholic, they handed me the catechism of the Catholic Church and said, Here you go, this is everything we believe. Mm-hmm. As a Manichaean, you would have got handed maybe three or four chapters. And then each level you go, kind of like Scientology is today, each level you go up the ladder, you learn more of this like revealed truth. And so he, he had all these questions because he was always searching for truth. Mm-hmm. And he had all these questions. And everyone would tell him, oh, when you meet Bishop Faustus, he'll have the answers for you. Mm-hmm. Oh, when you meet Bishop Faustus, and he wrote about this in his confessions. Mm-hmm. It was kind of his autobiography he wrote later on in life. Mm-hmm. And when he met Faustus... He was utterly disappointed. Mm-hmm. Every time he would ask him a question, it was a deep and hard probing question. He would either deflect or just answer it in such a you know shallow way that it, mm-hmm. it left him feeling like Faustus didn't really have the answers. Mm-hmm. So by the time he leaves for Milan, he's not a Christian by any means, mm-hmm. but he's really having major doubts about yeah. Manichaeism. You know, mm-hmm. he has his faith in that whole system shaken mm-hmm. because. He realized that this whole revealed truth thing, and as you go deeper and deeper, Gnosticism in general mm-hmm. is all just baloney, really. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's all just a way to kind of keep you entangled in it. Whereas mm-hmm. Christianity, once you become a Christian, like they kept some things secret back in the day during the persecution and stuff because they didn't want they didn't want to be found out by the authorities and stuff. Mm-hmm. But there was no secret teachings. There was no secret knowledge. Everything was out in the open. Mm-hmm. And then when he gets to Milan, he ends up meeting Ambrose, who was the bishop of Milan. Mm-hmm. And as a uh, you know, like a law professor, mm-hmm. he he was impressed by Ambrose's speaking style and the way he would 
project in a way he could command a crowd and stuff. So he started listening to them, not even so much for religious education, but just because he liked his style. Struck up a friendship with him, and then it was from that friendship that you know they'd have a lot of deep conversations and stuff, and he started kind of becoming more intrigued with the faith of his mother, mm-hmm. uh, Monica. Mm-hmm. And it was through that kind of, that he had that kind of touchstone with her, you know, he had that, mm-hmm. the exposure to it as a youth, and it kind of started, I guess it started kind of bringing back memories and stuff. But it was really a, more of a miraculous moment, just like St. Paul mm-hmm. wrote to Damascus. Mm-hmm. He had this emptiness inside of him, I you know, and he would later... Uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, since you mentioned sure. this, um, how is it that, uh, I mean, in your own personal life, have you seen this happen, that suddenly you're somewhere, you have all these doubts, and then um, you realize that there is an answer somewhere else? I know this isn't part of the um, part of the normal questions that we did, but you yourself would have, you know, experienced this with your own life, right? That yeah. you're in something, you have all these doubts the way he did, and then you know that there is something that is missing. How do you how do you address? How do you know that there is an answer out there? What made you think that okay, there's an answer in another church or in another faith or in something else? Right. Well, that's a real. <laughs> that's a hard one, huh? Uh, well, okay, I mean, you can come back to it later. So, <laughs> well, no, I mean, there's always there's truth out there, you know, and, and yeah. God is truth, and I, you know, as a Christian, God isn't just truth. I think it was Saint, uh, yeah, I think it was Paul the Sixth, maybe it said, or it might have been Pope uh, Pius the Twelfth, mm-hmm. that God isn't just true; mm-hmm. He's truth Himself. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like when Jesus said to Pilate, when Pilate said, "What is truth?" Pilate was just kind of being flippant and kind of thinking he was being cool, saying, like, what is truth, and just blowing Jesus off. But here was truth, the embodiment of truth itself, yeah. standing right next to him. Yeah. And and that is, I, I knew there was truth out there. And I've always been a Christian, mm-hmm. just kind of, you know, when I was younger, I didn't really take it as seriously as I should have. But I kind of had a, after my father passed away, I kind of had this, mm-hmm. this, like, moment of, if this is true, yeah. you know, is it true? And I come to believe, yes, it is true. And if it's true, then it's the most important thing in the world. And it isn't to be taken so lightly. It isn't, if it isn't true, I've got a lot better things to do with my Sunday than, you know, I go to mass Sunday morning and I volunteered at RCIA. So I'm at, I'm at church from like 830 till 1230 every Sunday. I have a lot better things to do. I could sleep in on Sunday because I work six days a week, so I could sleep in on Sunday. Or I could, you know, get up and go skiing up in the mountains. Or I could do, there's plenty of things I could think of to do if it wasn't true. So why, why go through the motions? You know, that's what I kind of had. I don't know if you'd call it a St. Paul moment because I didn't convert. Like, well, I converted to Catholicism, but I was always a Christian. But it was kind of this, I had this moment. It was, it was immediately following my father's death, maybe within a few days or weeks, Mm -hmm. that if, if this is something that I believe in Mm -hmm. and if it's true, then I have to dedicate my life to it more. I can't just show up on Sunday, go through the motions, leave, mm-hmm. and then be a Christian one hour a week. I have to be a Christian seven days a week, you know? Yeah. And so that was kind of my, I guess you'd call that my Augustine moment. <laughs> so Finn, uh, so when he starts off as uh, this, this, when he comes back to his mother and he, alive, I think, when, when he makes mm-hmm. the change, right? Yeah. Well, the the interesting thing is, it was a, like I said, it was kind of a miraculous moment. For yeah. Him. He's he's sitting and he just read uh, a book. I think Ambrose actually gave him the book, and it was uh, Saint Anthony of the Desert. Yeah. 
And it was a biography. It was one of the first like biographies of a saint. Mm-hmm. And it was written by, I want to say St. Athanasius. It was written by, yeah, it was written by Athanasius. And he reads it, and he's really intrigued. And it's kind of really stirring all these thoughts in him and stuff. And it's really, and he's sitting there, and he's trying to gra- grapple with all this, you know, what is truth and what is, you know, what am I going to do with my life? Like, I really got to kind of get things squared around here. Mm-hmm. And he hears a voice. He goes out and he walks out in the garden outside the house he was staying in. And he hears a voice saying, take and read. And he hears, say, like three or four times, but it's like a child's voice he described it as. And it says, take and read, take and read. And he walks and he comes across and hears a Bible. Mm-hmm. And it's open to uh, Paul's letter to the Romans. Mm-hmm. And he starts reading. And it's about the particular part he turns to is Romans 13, 13 through 14. Okay. And that was, that was the part that he picked up and read. And that's really like it was God showing them this is what this is what I desire of you. Mm-hmm. You know, it says, let us conduct ourselves becoming as in the day, not in revel, reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and lasciviousness, not in quarreling and jealousy, mm-hmm. but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires. Mm-hmm. So that was like it was oh, written for right? someone like Augustine. Yeah. And so he read that because he had a mistress that he'd been with for like 20 something years and he had a son that was to this mistress and he had all these different things going on mm-hmm. and he had pray, like his one of his famous things that he said was lord make me chaste but not yet yes so he, like at the back of your mind you know like saint paul said and i think it was chapter one of romans that even though they didn't have the law of the romans they were still they still had you know the natural law that you know right from wrong and the deep deepness of your heart someone in the, in the jungles in the amazon knows that murdering their relative is wrong you know it's just kind of natural it's a natural law. So he knew that this affair that he'd been carrying on for 15 or 20 years and the way he'd been going on this drunken, debauched life was wrong. And then he picks this up. He hears his voice and this just happens to be open to this particular passage. Mm-hmm. And he reads that and that was just kind of the, like I said, the road to Damascus moment for him and just kind of opened his eyes. Yeah. Ambrose and received baptism from Ambrose. That was it. He decided he needed to, needed to get in on this. That, is that where he now becomes a priest, or is that... Uh, no, it wasn't until he uh, he returned back to Hippo, which okay. was in North Africa. He returned back to Hippo, and he was uh, there. He studied and stuff. He became. He went back with his son, okay. uh, but then his son ended up dying. Yeah, yeah. And so he, I think he got ordained a priest. After, his mother died before, before they went back to Hippo. She died right after, but he was baptized before she died. And then he went back to Hippo, and his son ended up dying a couple of years later, and then he became ordained a priest after that. So after being a priest for all the, all the years later, then he even ends up being a bishop, and he has all mm-hmm. these, these things that he's written about that, honestly, I, I don't even understand. So <laughs> what are some of the most famous things, especially since we're, we're in January, and there are lots of people who are now falling back on their resolutions, Mm-hmm. Uh, they want to look at something that you know is hopeful. So, in looking at that, what is some of the things that that Saint Augustine has said or written about that would give these people, give all of us actually, some hope of how we can how we can rectify things? Right. Well, he uh, his most famous, well, I'd say his two most famous works was Confessions. I've talked about that a few times already, and that was like his autobiography that he wrote about himself, mm-hmm. and uh, that's where you get a lot of the information too about his conversion and his youth and everything is all from that. Mm-hmm. And then he wrote uh, The City of God. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And the City of God is probably one of the most famous writings in mm-hmm. in Christian Christian philosophy, I guess you'd call it. Mm-hmm. In the City of God, he wrote that in the early 400s, Rome had just fallen. So he's back in North Africa, and Rome had just fallen to the Goths and the Vandals. They just sacked Rome. Mm-hmm. And the people of Rome were really, they were saying to themselves that this is, this is what we get for abandoning our, our ancient gods, you know, and going with the Christian God. And so he writes this book, and in it, he's trying to console them by saying that things of this earth are only for this moment. Like, they're only, they're passing away. Like, this reading coming up this Sunday uh, is from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and it, the things of this world are, are a vapor, they're passing away. The city of God is what we're striving towards. And you gotta you got to be a citizen of the city of God, not of the city of men. And he goes on in the book and he talks about the city of man and the inhabitants of the city of man and how they were saying like the good old days of ancient Rome and the power of Rome. And he goes on and he writes this whole book about how Rome was really a debauched place. It was a terrible place. The pagan gods were terrible gods. Like there's all this. Then he talks about how Christianity has brought out the good in people and he goes on to say about how we got like we got to look to the things of God and not the mm-hmm. things of man. And even though the city is destroyed, even though things might look grim right now, mm-hmm. it'll look up in the future because this world's not our home. Mm-hmm. You know, like that old southern southern gospel song, "This world's not my home. I'm only passing through." And that's where he really he develops a lot of doctrine too in mm-hmm. in these books. So there aren't just philosophical writings; they've got a lot of a lot of doctrine going on. And like the doctrine of original sin is really defined. It's really played out in the city of God in his book. And he writes it from experience, right? Because uh, a lot of his, his writing is based on what he has been through in his own life. So right. He has a different yeah, because he's, yeah. he's been firmly a citizen of the, the city of man. <laughs> you know? He was its model citizen for a long time. Yeah. So now being a bishop, he's trying to bring people over to, to immigrate to the city of God. What, what is one of, his, um, one of his theories? I mean, even philosoph- philosophically... I mean, is there anything that uh, a common man today could use if, if they weren't reading uh, some of his highly decorated work? Well, he talked a lot about free will, mm-hmm. and about like predestination, yeah. and uh, what what he wrote. Really, it's it's a strange thing because Catholics and Protestants, Calvinists, non-Calvinists, everyone tries to claim Augustine's writings as their own. You know. So it's like depends on what lens you look at it through. Okay. If you look at it through a Calvinist lens, Augustine was the first Calvinist. Okay. You know, if you look at it through a Catholic lens, mm-hmm. Augustine wasn't at all. He was really writing against Pelagianism. Yeah. You know, the theory that uh, that Pelagius came up with that you can, without the grace of God, you can do good on your own and you can come to God yeah. through your own will, you know. And that's not so. It's yeah. the grace of God is the first step in conversion. Right. Without that grace, you can't even be drawn towards God. Yeah. But then the Calvinists take it a whole step further and say that you're already preordained towards God. Mm-hmm. You know, so getting into the whole theory on his philosophy and everything, mm-hmm. it really depends on how you're looking at it. But uh, he talked about original sin. Yeah. And original sin. He really was one of the first people to kind of come up with the not come up with the idea of original sin because that predated him, but really kind of flesh it out. You know, and kind of describe it and go into detail in it how it was Adam sinned, mm-hmm. Adam and Eve sinned at the beginning with the fall, and we inherit their sin, but not as an actual sin. It's more of a state that we inherit. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the opposite of 
the good news of the gospel being that Jesus died for all, well, Adam sinned for all. Yeah. You know, just like Paul said that with Adam, sin and death entered into the world, but with the new Adam, yeah. life comes back into the world. Yeah. So he really kind of fleshed that out and went into detail on that so that we can better understand the whole idea of original sin. And it's original sin is the reason we need baptism. Yeah. Because baptism washes away original sin. Yeah. And so he really kind of went into that. And then also uh, he touched on the problem of evil, too. If there's an all-good God, if there's an all-good, all-powerful God, but there's evil in the world, mm -hmm. then that means either God's neither all-good or all-powerful, or else he would stop the evil. Yeah. But it's because of free will that he allows in the world that he wouldn't allow any evil to happen unless a greater good can come from that evil. You know what I mean? So like different things that might happen as we might think is the worst thing in the world. Yeah. Later on, God uses it for a better purpose to bring out a greater good. And, and I think that's important for people who are struggling so much right now, right? I mean, you go through grief or you go through a heartache or you go through some uh, health issues or whatever. And then you wonder, I mean, where is this this God? So it's, it's, it's a, nice, uh, a nice way of looking at it uh, through St. Augustine's eyes. Yeah, it's a nice way to look at it, that no matter what's happening, we can't see it sometimes. Sometimes we won't even see it in this life at all. Maybe it would be you know, looking down from heaven, and we're like, oh, okay, that's why that happened. But we have to trust in the providence of God and trust that he is working for the good of those who love him. You know, And it isn't, it isn't all about like the prosperity gospel of if you're a Christian, you have enough faith, you'll never get cancer. If you do get cancer, you'll get healed. Or if you don't get healed, you'll go to heaven. Like it's always there's always the next step mm -hmm. as long as you have faith. Yeah. No, you might die like the apostles, every single one of them died horrible deaths, except for John, but not for lack of trying. They boiled them alive. Mm -hmm. But they had great faith. I mean they had the greatest of all faith. They were there with Jesus. Yeah. But it didn't keep them from you know, didn't keep Matthew from getting skinned alive or uh, Andrew from getting crucified on a cross that was shaped like an axe or Peter upside down. Mm -hmm. All that happened to them. But through their witness, going to the death like they did mm -hmm. and keeping the faith, they produced, you know, like Tertullian said, that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Yeah. They might not have seen it in that life. They might have died in agony, screaming and crying, not knowing, like, what's happening. But we look at it and they're strengthened by their witness. Because you know, that's what a martyr is. Martyr means witness. So they're the ultimate witness to the faith. That's what Augustine, Augustine really expanded on that, the problem of evil. And I think that was really probably the greatest answer there is. Mm -hmm. And even Aquinas in uh, the Summa Theologica, Thomas Aquinas mm -hmm. quoted Augustine when talking about the problem of evil. In fact, I think even Christ himself had the same, I mean, God didn't save his own son. So, right. so, so it applies to everyone. I mean, especially since you mentioned the Christmas. Right, because that's, yeah, that's the greatest evil of all is killing God. Yeah. There's really no greater evil than that. And, but the Pope said it a couple of years ago, Pope Francis said, if by human measure, if you just look at it by human measure, mm -hmm. Jesus died alone on a cross. He failed. Yeah. Just in pure human forms. Yeah. If you don't know about the resurrection. But since there's a resurrection, then that's the greatest victory of all. Mm -hmm. But if there was no resurrection and we just look at it just straight up as like a Roman soldier that was standing there, you'd think this guy's a failure. Even yeah. his friends left him. Only John's standing here and his mother. So one apostle betrayed him. The other ten left. And there's only one left standing with him. But really, it was the greatest victory. It was literally victory over death. So what, what can people do who are struggling with issues just like St. Augustine? I mean, in, in a way, all of us have 
some part of our lives that we're struggling with. It's this constant goal towards being sane. So what can people who are struggling um, learn and apply in their own life from St. Augustine? Prayer. Prayer from others, too, especially. I really think that yeah. the prayer of his mother, that's what got St. Monica canonized, was the fact that her constant prayer contributed to her son's turnaround. I believe that, you know, because prayer is effective and prayer works. And she never stopped praying for her son, and eventually he came back. So especially if you've got kids that are away from the church or away from God, you know that you can keep praying. And, you know, God's will is for them to come back. God doesn't want anyone to perish, it says in First Peter, that, but that all will come to repentance. So it's God's will for them to return. You just have to be there and support them and pray for them. And then if it's you that's away, you know, if you, you've fallen away, or you've, you can always come back. Mm-hmm. Ew, there's no, as long as there's breath in your lungs, there's hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's there's no point at which you're too far from God. Yeah. Augustine was far from God. Mm-hmm. St. Paul was far from God. All these people were far from God at one point or another. Mm-hmm. St. Matthew was a tax collector. That's, yeah. pretty, that's pretty bad, especially yeah. in the ancient Jewish world, you know. But they can all... You can all be reconciled. Anyone can be reconciled to God. Even the thief on the cross was reconciled with God mm-hmm. in the last moments of his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't wait till, the last, <laughs> till yeah. you're hanging yeah. on a cross. That's definitely not the lesson to learn. But even if you're hanging on a cross with moments to live, you can always come back to God. Since you mentioned prayer, I, I just wanted to add in is that it can take years. I mean, sometimes you're praying for somebody and you're, you're wondering when this turnaround is going to happen. But keep at it. Like, keep Keep praying for whoever that person is, or even yourself. Right. Yeah, because no prayer is ineffective. You know, as long as you're praying for the will of God to be done, it's not ineffective. God will apply it, you know, as He as He will. But yeah. it does. Prayer does work. Hundred percent prayer works. It might not work the way you want it to work, or in the the, the means you want it to work in. But yeah. it does work. You know, you can be praying for somebody to get you know whatever to get a job or to get get off drugs or whatever you yeah. could be praying for and something else could happen. Like you could be praying for a friend, say that's having problems like this, that might be addicted to drugs or whatever. And they might get arrested and you're like, Oh, hold on. I didn't pray for that. Yeah. But maybe in jail, we'll get the rehab or, you know, you don't know how things are going to work out. You just got to keep praying for them. Also, I think from St. Augustine's uh, life, you can, you can also learn that I think he went through everything. I mean, he went through um, some of the most difficult things. It's difficult to lose a child. Um, mm-hmm. So he's been through a, a lot of pain and heartache to come back to the Lord. I mean, it must have not been easy. People, the society, people uh, around him, you know, making this transition from being this man to being a priest or whatever. So uh-huh. I think that's one thing also that we need to learn, that when there are people who are changing or transforming their lives, that we need to support them instead of being the people who yeah. the stones. Yeah, definitely. I mean... I'm guilty of that myself. You know, how many times have you seen somebody coming to church or whatever, like trying to be a, a member of society that you're like, yeah. I know that guy, you know, I, <laughs> you know, and you do it, you judge them and you, ju- it's, yeah. it's, you do, you judge people and it's, it doesn't make it right. It's just kind of yeah. human nature. And I know for myself, I mean, I've had a, a major like spiritual turnaround in my own life yeah. and I'd hate to, for people to say like, Oh yeah, I know that guy. Mm-hmm. But, people do it it's it's yeah. just the way it is and we got to not do that we got to try not to do that we got to support people if someone's making a turnaround in their life mm-hmm. if someone wants to start attending church and says like hey what church do you go to you might if i come with you 
don't say like, oh no, you know, <laughs> you're a bum, <laughs> you know, don't do that. Because there's plenty of people out there that would do that. You know, we definitely got to be supportive of our fellow Christians. You know, if someone's trying to turn their life around, mm-hmm. we have to, to pray for them, to be there for them, to support them, to encourage them. You might be the one encouraging word that someone needs to keep on the path yeah. they're on, or you might be the discouraging word to turn them back to their life of sin. You never know how your words are going to affect somebody, so you got to make them, make them the right ones. Uh, I also think, um, in a way, to the Holy Spirit, I think, in a way, if this take up and read uh, St. Augustine heard, I mean, mm. there's so many times that we are getting a word from either somebody's voice or we can hear something, somebody speaks to us, there's something on TV or we read something and yet we don't we don't pay attention to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And I think right. St. Augustine acts on that, whereas a lot of us don't act on it. I mean, we all hear this, but we don't act on it. We think, oh, I can't do this right now. Or we have our own priorities instead of uh-huh. what God is asking us to do. So in a way, St. Augustine was very, very brave in, in, in listening despite the, the intellectual he wasn't doing, acting on what he heard. Yeah, definitely. I think in today's world, we really, you know, it's, it's so loud out there. Yeah. In the world. There's so much, you know, drawing our attention, so much kind of reaching out and trying to grab our attention mm-hmm. every moment of the day. I mean, you can't go through five minutes without seeing advertising left and right, mm-hmm. everything all around you. And really just to, it's difficult to quiet yourself yeah. and to take five, 10, 15 minutes and just find a quiet place in your home and just pray and be with God. It's it's hard yeah. in today's world, especially I got three kids running around the house and there's no <laughs> such thing as quiet time, but it's sometimes you got to go sit in your truck, but it's difficult, you know, but you, you got to try to find that quiet. That's why he walked outside and he was walking through the garden and St. Augustine too, he knew, and this is a fundamental truth that's true for everyone is the heart is restless until it rests in you, O Lord. You know, that's that's one of the truest things, because throughout the world, even in primitive societies and like, you know, like I said, in the jungles in the Amazon, mm-hmm. there's a common thread throughout all humanity is everyone's searching for God. Yeah, yeah. You know, they, they might think that the sun's God or they might think that the ocean's God. They might have wrong ideas because they haven't had the truth revealed to them in the, you know, the gospel. Mm-hmm. But... That everyone's searching for God. Everyone knows deep in their heart that they were created for a purpose and for a reason. Yeah. You know, it isn't just an accident that we're here in, in this universe. That, you know, if the strong nuclear force or the weak nuclear force was out of whack by just a, a minuscule amount at the big moment of the Big Bang, the entire universe wouldn't exist. Well, yeah, true, true. You know, and if the Earth was just one degree tilted further yeah. one on its axis, one... It, the, it would spin out of whack and, you know, the gravity wouldn't be the same as it did. All these different variables, the, the chances of life existing to begin with, never mind human life, mm-hmm. just life, is minuscule. Mm-hmm. So that isn't by accident. And you aren't by accident. Every person on the earth isn't by accident. You know, you're created with a purpose. And that purpose is to know and love God and to be with him for all eternity. Mm-hmm. And inside every human heart, that's just ingrained in your heart. It's written on your heart from the moment you're born. And that's why throughout history, every every society, there's never been an atheist society. Yeah. Ever. Like, it doesn't matter where it's at and what time in history, every society has some form of God. And the atheists will say, oh, that's because human superstition. No, it's, it's written on your heart. You know there's a creator. And until you find that, until you really, like he said, until the heart is restless, until it rests in you, yeah. until you find what you're searching for, mm-hmm. you're restless. 
and he was restless. That's why he was out there walking around and trying to trying to listen to trying to hear what you know the world had to say to him or what nature or whatever it was that he thought was God at the moment. But mm-hmm. he really came to realize it was the God of the Bible. But he was searching for truth. He was searching for meaning. He was searching for is my life all just about drunken parties and having affairs? You know, there's got to be more to life than this. And everyone knows that. Even you know, even people in like high society and like Hollywood celebrities that are going out and having all these you know, debauched parties and stuff, mm-hmm. they're empty inside. And they're trying to fill it up with alcohol and drugs and sex and all these different things. And none of it will ever fill that God-shaped hole in your heart because it, it's just, it's human nature. And until you find the God of the gospel, you know, Jesus Christ, the mm-hmm. son of the living God, until you find that, until you really have a relationship with him, there's always going to be that emptiness. Yeah. And you can try to fill it up with other things. You can try to fill it up with you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But it only numbs that emptiness. Yeah. You know, it's just like any drug. Like if you're in pain and they give you morphine, it works, but only for a while. It isn't permanent until you fix the problem, until you fix what's really, you know, you've got gangrene in your leg. Until you fix that problem, morphine just numbs the pain for a while. It doesn't take the pain away. So all these other things that Augustine tried filling up the, the emptiness inside of him with, they would only numb it for, you know, momentary, painless moments, but it wasn't... It wasn't completely filling him up, and that's what he needed, and that's what he found. And it, it just goes to show you that uh, God can take you out of anywhere and, and, you know, supercharge your progress and make you like a superstar. I mean, he mm-hmm. can take you and, and, and do great things with your life, no matter where you come from. Yeah. yeah, no matter where you come from, no matter what you've done in the past, no matter what, you know, mm-hmm. what your past is, it's, the future is endless. Every sinner has a, every saint has a past, and every sinner has a future. You know, I really like that saying. There was uh, there was a guy at a, a church I used to go to in uh, California. Mm-hmm. It was a uh, St. Charles Borromeo Church. And I seen him a couple times outside of Mass. And I truthfully thought he was kind of a dangerous-looking guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he had tattoos all across his hands, his knuckles all up his arms, on his neck, mm-hmm. covered in tattoos, kind of a muscular guy mm-hmm. with uh, kind of looked like a motorcycle gang member. Mm-hmm. And... Then the one day I seen him, and he was, I don't know exactly what his position was, but he was an altar server, like an institute acolyte. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was maybe 40 years old or 50 years old, but he was the one that assisted the priest, and he was like the chief altar server. And I thought, I judge this man from outward appearances, yeah. and who knows what where his life had taken him. Maybe he was in, he looked like prison tattoos, so maybe he was in prison for some horrible crime, but now, obviously, he's serving, literally serving at the altar of God, mm-hmm. and... I judged him from outward appearances, but he's doing more than I am because I'm just coming to church for one hour a week. And that was when, you know, back when I wasn't even really taking it serious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now I think at the time I didn't even really think of it. I was like, oh, okay, I was wrong about that guy. But now I think back on the thing. I judged him and I was wrong. Not only did I judge him, which you're not supposed to judge people like that, but I was wrong in my judgment too. Yeah. <laughs> and most of the time we are because we don't know the whole yeah. story. We don't know no, you don't know the whole story. I mean, he obviously had prison tattoos, but, you know, St. Paul yeah. murdered Christians. Yeah. So what you've done in the past doesn't really affect your current standing with God. Mm-hmm. You know, a serial killer can come to Christ. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it doesn't even matter. That's why the church, the church doesn't definitively say if anyone is in hell. Like we, you know, hell's real. And we know hell's real, and people go to hell if they cut themselves off from God. But the church won't say definitively, Adolf Hitler's in hell, because it isn't our job to judge people to hell. You know what I mean? Like that's not our that's not our place. We don't get to make that decision. 
Yeah. <laughs> you can make an educated guess as to where certain people are, but we don't know definitively. You know, so there's no you, you can't really judge the condition of someone's heart is really the whole point of that. 